to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Khan Ghosh is the founder and CEO of Canella, a registered Australia-wide NDIS service provider, which helps people living with a disability access quality food and tier one health practitioners as well as delivering lasting and positive health outcomes. Khan Ghosh, welcome to the Unicorns. Good morning, Justin. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can you tell me the backstory of how Canella began? Uh, I understand you actually started your professional career as a physiotherapist. Is that right? That is right. So I, um, I guess the real backstory is uh, at school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I thought yep. I wanted to join MSF and save the world. And so off I went to med school down in Hobart, uh, cold and rainy Hobart. And uh, I, um, it just wasn't for me. I'd stuck it out. It was a six-year undergrad degree back then, and I flunked out at uh, year three, I remember vividly sitting in a pathology lecture and feeling so far away from the end customer or, or patient and certainly the impact that I was looking to have. And uh, so I transferred to uh, physio. Was that, was, that, was that a hard thing to realise that you wanted to be a doctor but halfway through it just wasn't going to happen? I, I think intellectually I liked the idea of being a doctor, but the reality of it was so different to what I'd imagined mm. and mm. I, it just wasn't right. And not only was it, um, uh, you know, a, a clear realisation to me, but I was also doing awfully academically. Uh, and so, <laughs> that never helps. <laughs> that's right. And so, um, so I changed to physiotherapy okay. at Sydney Uni yep. and, and loved it. I absolutely thrived right. in that environment. Yep. Felt yeah. Felt much closer to the um, the clinical impact, and um, uh, yeah, finished finished my training as a physio, and had the great privilege of working in the public health system, both um, in Sydney and uh, but also regionally, and, and spent some really impactful time up in Taree on the mid north coast of New South Wales. Love um, it, yeah. I was and, up there uh, last weekend. Beautiful. Yeah, right. It is beautiful, um, but it's also, as as you might be aware, it's home to a large retired population and a, yes. and a large um, Indigenous population, mm-hmm. both, both of whom um, are struggling with a burden of chronic disease, preventable chronic disease. Yep. And so for me, working as a um, young, impressionable uh, physio in the public hospital up there, it was really eye-opening to, um, I guess, the inequity and inefficiency of the healthcare system. Now, I say that obviously very grateful for the universal healthcare system we have in uh, our great country. But, yes. Um, but my realisation there as a tiny cog in this huge machine was that it was built for yesteryear. The mm. hospital system was built for post-industrial revolution where acute illness was the um the, the greatest disease burden, whereas today in both the developed world and the developing world, um, we've really got four chronic diseases that are um, the, the greatest burden of disease and, and they're caused by only three things, and that's uh, sedentary behaviour, smoking and poor nutrition. And so working as a physio uh, at the front line in the system, um, it just didn't feel right. Um, mm. We had people in and out of hospital not getting better, 
um, and they weren't certainly weren't in control and empowered to be in control of their healthcare journey. And so um, six and a half years ago, very naively but optimistically, thought uh, I'm going to create a company uh, to improve the health and well-being of our most marginalised uh, people with yeah. disability, older Australians, our First Nations people, and uh, that's that's how Canella began. So what? So once you had that idea, um, what did you do? How did you go about turning that idea into a living, breathing, functioning business? So I, I thought I had to go to business school and I was pretty advanced in um, my application to go to business school and do an MBA in North America to one day build a platform to drive change. But I was very fortunate to meet my co-founder, uh, Rishabh, um, who um, uh, I guess we came together and we shaped the idea together and uh, he's an incredibly successful business person and um, uh, has been a, a coach and a mentor to me. But the, the two of us and a couple of others uh, started it as an idea uh, in 2014, June 2014, and he likes to joke with me to this day that um, this has been my real-life MBA. Um, yeah, I think he's right. Yeah, but it's been – and it's kind of funny because my, my younger brother did go to business school and we were both learning in parallel and he was learning – um, uh, at London Business School at the feet of some of the most preeminent professors in the world. And I was, this is a true story, I was, um, uh, we went on a family holiday um, in Europe and I had this little book that I carried uh, everywhere with me and it was Finance for the Non-Financial Manager. It was one of yeah. those HBR snippets and, and I read it and it was all foreign to me and there was like a quiz at the back and I did the quiz and I think I'd, only got seventy percent pass rate. I'm like, oh, this is not never going to work. So I was mm. learning in real time, and and uh, that that's continued to this day. Um, still, lots of learnings in real time, but now um, very privileged to have a um, incredible board um, and great team uh, around me that uh, sort of uh, help me do what I do well, which is really obsess about our customers and and their clinical experience. Um, uh, and then uh, they've obviously got expertise to um, help us build a great business as well. So can you give us a sense of how Canella works and the size and scale of the operation as it exists today? Look, absolutely. And, and just to give your um, listeners a flavour of um, who we are, I always start with the why. And we are – so we're proudly a four-purpose business um, – uh, we're founded out of this core belief that better health belongs to everyone, this concept of democratising healthcare. What we do is we help people with disability, as, as you mentioned in your introduction, um, achieve their health and wellbeing goals. And we do this by uh, delivering healthy home, delivered nutritious meals, and then also support through online allied health programs. So dietetics, um, occupational therapy, speech pathology, um, all tailored around uh, the individual's goals. And uh, it's just this belief that the postcode you live in or whether you have a disability or not should not determine your access to healthcare services. And that's the fundamental issue we're solving for. Mm. We're, uh, um, we're a proud example of the innovation the NDIS promised the country. So we've, um, we're now active in uh, right across the country. Our allied health clinicians service every postcode in the land and then the food part of the business is in 
we're in five states and territories. Um, uh, so li- literally, literally, or like obviously, uh, with the internet and telehealth now, you you can access all parts of the country. Literally all parts of the country, and um, what makes the the telehealth experience richer is our clinicians are in all parts of the country as well, and so there's this real um, ability to connect the expert clinician. You might have the best uh, OT in, um, you know, behavioural challenges with uh, someone with um, uh, a psychosocial disability, for example, uh, who's got a PhD in that sector, and we're able to connect that person to um, a customer's goal and need, as opposed to, uh, you know, the old model is, you know, you um, set up your bricks and mortar clinic and you just service the people in your catchment yes. area. Yeah. Mm. So those those ex- experts could literally be on the other side of the country where clinician and, and patient, uh, as such, have never met, but they're they're interacting as um, as a partnership. Mm, and they often are. And um, what's really exciting uh, is that, and, and we moved on, we've always been, had a heavily, um, uh, you know, telepractice online um, focus. And, and that was very much pre-COVID. Uh, and COVID has, of course, accelerated uh, a lot of these changes, um, both on the practitioner side and the consumer side. But what's really exciting is uh, it really works. Mm. And there's... Um, randomized control trial level evidence to show that efficacy and customer experience is comparable in telehealth versus face-to-face. And then even putting my physio hat back on, even in some of the physical uh, therapies, there's ways to work around uh, not being in the same room or not being able to um, physically interact with the participants. So we, we often... Uh, will use uh, people in the circle of support, so family members or... Oh, okay, come in and help, yeah, play play exactly. the role of... Yeah, okay. Um, so how... So let's go back. 2014, you set it up. 2020, it's been a hell of a year. How <laughs> how how has Canella changed, uh, both in, um, I suppose, your philosophy and and physically what you offer as a business to your clients... How has it changed over the years? Yeah, look, 2020 has certainly been one a, a year to remember, and we're not through it yet. I'll just point that out to you. Justin. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm counting down the minutes. <laughs> I'll bet, yeah. Um, look, I, th- I think the reflection there is that change is the only constant, probably in life, not to get too mm. philosophical on you, um, but certainly in early-stage business. Um mm. I always think that you can't sort of wrap your ambition around a marketplace or a customer group. Like you've really got to listen to the needs um, of our, of your customers. And often what customers tell you they want is different to what they actually want. Right. Okay. And so, um, the, you know, there's this great Mike Tyson quote, which is everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and Especially by him. <laughs> oh, but, but I'd, I'd say that um, there's this beautiful parallel in, you know, planning to launch a business. Um, you do all your work and your market research and best intentions and you go live and everyone's got this, um, uh, everyone's got exactly the same anxiety when they um, turn on the website and um, yes. they're worried the servers are going to crash and they're worried the phone lines are going to go down and they're worried they're not going to have enough stock. 
and it almost never happens, right? Mm. Mm. And that's that's really the real beginning of your journey as a business. Like when you when the rubber hits the road and and you meet real customers. Um, and so the how we've changed over the years is that um, as a new business um, built to serve the needs of people with disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a new marketplace, and the NDIS is a really significant broad-scale change where in the old world the money used to go from government to large not-for-profits in a block-funded model. Now the money goes uh, directly to participants, customers, um, to um, spend it uh, in the NDIS uh, to meet their goals in, in a way that they desire. Um exercise choice and control and then and then the third sort of variable or new part was that consumers were um, disability consumers are becoming consumers for the first time ever and yeah, so okay. so there's a lot of winds of change there and uh, and so therefore lots of need to learn and, and to iterate and um, and then there's of course the regular growing pains of a company but you know people yep. and process and apparently logistics um, and hr and Mm. yeah all of that well apparently there's um this weird moment when you've got more than 12 employees where everyone can't read your mind anymore um (laughs) so lots of lots of lots of like right now um we're probably moving from being a big little business to a little big business Mm -hmm. and uh things like systems and process and structure and um, channels of communication become more important, and uh, and so there's all all of that evolution. But really, listening to the needs of our community has been how we've uh, changed the most. So refining the product, and to give you a couple of examples, please, uh, yes, you know we we launched with a food product direct to consumer, and uh, proud of um, the team just launched a um, what we think is a market leading texture modified solution. Uh, as recently as oh, last yes, week. Yes. Um, so there's you know, a million Australians living with dysphagia, which is uh, problems with uh, chewing and swallowing. swallowing. Yes. And it's a safety issue. It's a it's a um, medical issue, but it's also a quality of life issue where um, you know food is about enjoyment. It's about social connection, and for over a million Australians um, living with disability and older Australians, they don't have that. Uh, access to um, full suite of products supported by speech pathologists and dietitians, and so that's one example of the innovation on product. I guess I've talked a little bit about the allied health side, where we develop um, uh, first in market programs for specific for you know if you've got a child with Down syndrome who wants to move out of home and they want um, to build their independence at meal times. Uh, our team of dietitians and speeches. Uh, have modules that help, uh, you know, with cooking, how to make a sandwich, how to go to the supermarket, um, etc. Which is very different to, you know, if you have, for example, a spinal cord injury and you're discharged from rural rehab and your life's going to be very different. We've got programs, uh, again, specifically designed on on person's goals, which are delivered yes. online first. So, so Canella in many ways is is much more, much broader than say just a home food delivery service. What I think you're telling me is, yes, that's part of it, but we also we're providing uh, our clients with access to um, 
expertise across many health verticals to um, add value to that to that journey to to help them along, whether it's speech pathology, whether it's um, occupational therapy, whatever. Yeah, I, I, that's an accurate and factual description, Justin. But I always think about the why, right? Like, why would a customer come and entrust us with their health and well-being goals? And then, how can we support them? And and there's so much that's not a product or service in that. It's about building rapport. It's about understanding their needs. It's about including their circle of care. And then finally, the what becomes the product and service. And today, yes, absolutely, there's a food component and there's an allied health component. But in the future, as we continue to grow and we understand our customers more and we earn the right to um, to offer more services to them, uh, who knows what it could be. It could be we could help them with their uh, manage their medication. We could help them with uh, some of their other um, you know, it could be wound care incontinent. I'm making stuff up here, but no, that's um, okay. Cool. But it's really, it's really about understanding and partnering with our customers along their health and well-being journeys. So, how I'm interested to know how COVID sort of affected your business because I, I can imagine a lot uh, of the people you assist uh, already are isolated in some way, shape, or form. So, what was the experience like for Canella? during uh, the worst of the, the lockdown phase? Look, it, it, was, um, it was challenging uh, because we're, we're a young business. We're um, very busy with growth and then the, um, we moved very quickly on COVID. And so for us, it was um, pens down and in a matter of days developing a um, pandemic response plan and and our focus was on the safety and well-being of our customers, um, but mm. also our staff. And we've got a, quite a young, um, uh, and as I said, quite disseminated staff across the country. And and so for us, it was um, very rapid changes to the way we delivered meals. So um, we immediately seized going into people's homes. Um, obviously, there was um, uh, personal care protection that we employed in the in the delivery chain. We uh, put a pause on any face-to-face um, clinical um, service delivery. We went to 100% online. Um, but then also for the team, um, we uh, sent everyone home. We um, have this okay. yep. wonderful. We have this wonderful office in Surrey Hills, which is our sort of spiritual headquarters. And as a young team, uh, you know, we've got a fantastic um, social connection at work and great yep. energy. And then suddenly. Uh, within six Turn the days, lights off. Yeah. yeah, people literally tucked their external monitors and their laptops under their arms. Some people took their office chairs home in Ubers and uh, we, haven't, <laughs> we haven't seen some of them since. Um, <laughs> I think but, they still work here. <laughs> uh, I know they do because um, I see them on them. Zoom. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's been incredible. We've, we've hired a bunch of people uh, on Zoom and onboarded them through mm. Zoom and um uh, and so it's, it's been a unique experience. But, but coming back to, the, I think, the heart of your question, the biggest learning for us, and um, it was actually, uh, so we've got a customer advisory committee and Martha, one of our customers who chairs that committee, um, shared a couple of insights with me, which um, I found really eye-opening. And she said, effectively, COVID has been a great leveler for everyone. And she said it in two ways. One is that... Um, Things like working from home uh, suddenly became normal and accepted 
rather than the exception. And so from that perspective, COVID's actually helped in terms of inclusion for people with disability. Mm. But also she said that, um, you know, the social isolation that I imagine lots of us um, have felt, and particularly some of your listeners in um, Victoria who experienced one of the exactly. yep. hardest, hardest and longest lockdowns almost in the world, um, she, she explained to me that that's, you know, normal life for a lot of people living with disability, like very housebound. Um, and not able to, uh, often not able to access the community um, as much as they'd like, often not able to uh, interact with friends and family as much as, as they'd like. And so that, uh, I'd say, you know, we'll, we'll find our way out of the COVID crisis as a, as a world in the, in the next couple of years. But this, like, intense social isolation that um, we're all feeling as a, as a global people is, is the status quo, unfortunately, for um, mm. a lot of people with disability. So to what extent does your business deal with and operate within the NDIS? So we're proudly um, exclusively operating in the NDIS. Okay. Um, the reason being is, and maybe I'll, I'll touch briefly on the NDIS. Um, Please. For those, for those of you listening who may be less familiar. So the NDIS is not a welfare scheme is the first thing I'd say. It's, this, it's an actuarial scheme which is predicated on this belief that targeted early spend based on someone's needs and goals um, helps them live uh, their best life and is able to they're able to participate more fully uh, socially and economically and ultimately as a as a government uh, will be less expensive than um, uh, just giving not-for-profits handouts to then spend on programs that may or may not be effective yeah. It's it's not a small program of change. Globally, it's the I'd say it's the most courageous reform to the way social services and healthcare are delivered uh, that's happening anywhere on the face of planet Earth right now. Mm. Is it's that right? a yeah. it's it's this um, visionary bipartisan piece of policy um, that um, uh, we don't see uh, too often in Australian politics, but. Uh, it's uh, just to give you a, a size for the scale of it as well. There's going to be half a million people with disability that'll have NDIS funding uh, at the end of next year when the scheme fully rolls out. And um, it's uh, over the next ten years. I know we talk a lot about how we're spending, say, eighty billion dollars on um, submarines. That's obviously a big number. But in the same ten-year period, we as a country will spend a quarter of a trillion dollars. $250 billion on the NDIS. So mm. the way we look at it is it's this um, fundamental foundational piece of social infrastructure that will allow yep. people with disability to live more inclusive lives. And so we've we've decided to focus specifically in the NDIS to um, really earn the right to um, serve the needs of people with disability. Um, yeah. We are a unique um I guess, different company that um, is challenging the way that services are delivered. For example, there's no one out there in market that's bundling together allied health and food and putting customer goals at the centre of it and delivering it through, um, you know, a technology platform. Uh, and so, and as I said, we're, we're still learning, we're still improving. And so um, we, we love working in the NDIS and um, it's, it's still being rolled out and there's still some uh, um, bureaucratic um, teething issues, I'd say. But, um, but yeah, we are 100% uh, NDIs focused right now. 
So broadly speaking, Carm, would you say the Australian government is doing enough to support people with a disability in Australia? It's a big question, Justin. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd say I'd say probably yes and no. Um, yeah. Yes, because as I mentioned, it's a huge um, visionary scheme that's just being rolled out. So we've got to stay patient as a society. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'd say when um, the Hawke government rolled out Medicare in 1983, it was probably quite challenging for quite some time. Um, but now you and I it's go to the doctor and, yeah, yeah we yep. take it for yep. granted, right? You pull yep. your green card out and um, you go. Yep. And you, you tell that to your friends in, uh, you know, South America or even the US and they stare, yeah, stare at you and they go, what do you mean? No, that, mm. that can't, be, can't be true. Mm. Um, and so... <laughs> Yeah, it is true. Um, and and so we think the NDIS presents the same opportunities for people with disability um, mm. when, it, when it all rolls out. And I think we should um, wait to like 10 years and then look back and pat ourselves on the back. But look, the areas to improve, uh, I believe, we believe, are probably the bureaucracy and the red tape. Um, and I think that's a function yeah. of the fact that it being a huge, it's a huge scheme. Reform. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, the other one, which we feel really passionate about at Canela is thin markets, which is, um, the NDIS is obviously a national scheme, um, but it's designed predominantly for, um, urban consumers. I'll make the very obvious point that in very regional communities, indigenous communities, um, they're, they're very different consumers. They've got a very different cultural context and there's very different support services and um we've we've obviously got massive allied health weight so you can put massive funding packages into regional communities but you can't magically um redesign service provision there and to give you a real example um there's a town called walgett in the far northwest of new south wales mm -hmm. and they as a community have you know pre-covid have suffered the indignity of um you know, floods, uh, but then also drought. Drought, they, yep. Yeah, they had one temporary food store, um, which last June burnt down. And so they've got a temporary pop-up food store in town and they're only getting about 20 to 30% of their orders sometimes, like particularly when there's COVID surges, the metro supermarkets are getting prioritised, which means that you've got vulnerable people in community that have to travel um, out of community or are consuming you know, the less healthy um, packaged foods that are, that are making it there. And so um, you've also got massive allied health under supply there. So there might be one allied health, um, one speech path, for example, in the region, and they've got a 12-month waiting list. And and so we've, we've partnered with the POSH um, Indigenous Health Network to develop a program to go and solve for communities like Walgett. Um, yes. Fantastic. Health solution and food. And I was actually down in Canberra meeting with um, uh, members of government uh, looking for a small funding commitment to, to catalyze this. But that, that's an example, I think, of where um, the, the government can play a small role um, to, to sort of seed fund some of these innovative programs that I think really caters the needs of I was going Australians to ask, with um, how, like when you got started, how did you, how did you fund it all? So we've, I don't know if this is a good statement or not, but we've never taken a single dollar of government money. Mm. And we, the way we started it was, I mentioned my co-founder, Rishabh, and a couple of others, um, myself included, emptied out the piggy bank. 
Yeah, we put a yep. um, small amount of money in to um, sort of get uh, things going. The idea down and get things going exactly, and then we've been very, very fortunate over the last um, sort of five or six years to have taken external investment from social impact investors. Um, yeah, so okay. people. Uh, so people right across the spectrum um, who believe in uh, not only the work we're doing, but also this construct of, of social um, and for-purpose business. Okay, so let's let's look ahead. Time to get out the crystal ball, Khan, um, into the future. I mean, it's always hard to predict, but where where to next for Canela? Where where is the business headed in in the next couple of years? Look, I think. Um, uh, I can't even predict what's going to happen this afternoon. Look, what I will say is um, I think that Canelo as a business is poised um, at a really exciting um, place. We're proudly a social business. Um, uh, we're mission-driven and I think we're a great example of, of what's possible in this sector. Uh, I think if COVID's taught us something as society, it's, it's made us stop and reflect that um, we have an opportunity to do more and to be more and uh, for-purpose companies like Canela have a role to play in this. And so with that um, incredible team and amazing customer group, um, uh, we've got real ambition to change the game, to redefine the way uh, healthcare is delivered for the disability sector and to be the example that I think consumers and the sector is looking for. So uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I, I do know that um, we're, we're just getting started. It feels like we've just scratched the surface of not only what's uh, what's needed, um, but certainly what's, what's possible. Well, Khan, you are a man on a mission and we wish you all the very best in the years ahead. Khan Ghosh, the CEO and founder of Canela, thank you so much for joining us on the unicorns today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Justin.